Remember, remember the 5th of November, gunpowder, trees, and, and plot. We know it, don't we? And we do it every year. Uh, and it's good that we should remember that because it was a, 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 an attack upon our government. Uh, they reckon now that if, the, um, if uh, Guy Fawkes and his cronies had succeeded in lighting the gunpowder, it uh, probably wouldn't have done much damage anyway because it had been lying down in the damp Houses of Parliament for so long uh, that nothing would have happened. And next week we're remembering those who paid the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom those who, who gave their lives uh, in battle so that we could enjoy freedom and liberty. But I, I would suggest that um, the events surrounding Guy Fawkes would have never happened if it hadn't been for Martin Luther. Because Luther changed everything. This country changed. Why did um, Guy Fawkes and his friends want to blow up the British Parliament? Because they wanted this country to be a Roman Catholic country. And they were prepared to, um, to actually uh, attempt to destroy our Parliament, uh, quite literally, um, by, uh, 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 by, by the gunpowder plot. Um, but it, Martin Luther changed everything uh, in... Um, in 1517. Um, and what he did was he dealt with the biggest question that anybody can ever ask. There's a, there was or is a, a TV program on Sunday mornings called uh, The Big Questions. Martin Luther was interested in the big question. Well, how about that? That's... Ah, there we are. He was interested in the big question. There was only one question for him, and that was the question, how can I hope to be righteous when I'm judged by God? Martin Luther was an extremely religious young man. How can I hope to be righteous when I'm judged by God? Let me go over here. How's that? Is that going to... Well, how about that? That's, is it, it's worked. Okay. Well, the atheists have got a simple problem to that. There is no God. And uh, you remember the, the buses with the, the, um, with the posters saying, there's probably no God, so stop worrying and get on with your life. And I was reflecting on that over the last couple of weeks, you know, with what's going on in Parliament's what's going on in the cinema industry, what's going on in the theater, what's going on in businesses. And I'm thinking, you know, what was the message that was being sent out by Richard Dawkins? You know, don't worry about all that. There's probably no God. So just get on with your life anyway. Do what you've normally done. So it sends out a message to all criminals, sends out a message to all men who think they can take liberties with their secretaries and with, uh, with young women who work for them. It sends out a message saying, don't worry, there's, no, there's probably no God. So he's not going to judge you one day. What a message to send out to people, eh? But that's the, that's the, the, the hope of the atheist. There's no God. So it, it's... Um, being judged by God uh, is not an issue. Don't, wor don't even worry about it. But of course there are... How we do Can you do it? Okay, let's... Uh, okay, turn it over. Okay. And then there's, you know, those who go for religion. There is a God, but do your best 
and you'll probably be okay. And that's the message of every religion in the world, except one. The message of every religion is if you join us, if you keep the rules... I was talking to a, a, a Jehovah's Witness once, and I said to him, you think you have good news? He said, yep. You think you have gospel? Yeah. I said, let's compare our gospel. If I, I said, t- correct me if I'm right, but is it true, according to your, your uh, teaching, that if I were to join your organization and be baptized, and I was to spend all my waking hours selling the watchtower awake and attending the meetings, there's just a chance that I would make it through Armageddon. He said, yeah, that's our good news. That's our gospel. So I said, let me tell you my good news. And so I told him my good news, and I said, which of those sounds like good news to you? And Steve said, well, Mike, it's been um, really good to talk to you, but I've got to run. Because there is no gospel except the one that Martin Luther discovered. Okay, Keith, can we have the next one? Next slide. Okay. So Martin Luther, born in 1483, died in 1546. He was a a religious man. He believed in a righteous God. He believed in a holy God. He believed in a God of justice. He believed in a God of wrath. But what he wanted was a gracious God. That was what Martin Luther needed. He was terrified of standing before God uh, one day. Okay, can you, can you turn over, Keith? And he faced three crises in his life, three big crises in his life. The first crisis was in 1505. He was almost killed by a lightning bolt. Uh, in 1510, he made a pilgrimage to Rome. And in 1519, he had what he called his tower experience. And we're going to look at those. Um, in 1505... Um, his father had sent him to uh, study to be a lawyer, and he was a brilliant student, absolutely brilliant, extremely clever man. And on his way home um, in D- July of 1505, um, he was caught in a lightning storm, and a bolt of lightning struck very, very close to him, and it was so powerful that he felt... The, the vibrations through his body. He felt the heat that came from, from the lightning. And uh, immediately this, this young man, this clever young man, fell on his knees and he said, St. Anne, who was the patron saint of miners, uh, and his father was a copper miner, St. Anne, save me and I'll become a monk. Um, and two months later, he entered... Um, They save me, Saint Anne, and I'll become a monk. Um, two months later, he entered the monastery of the Hermits of Saint Augustine. His father was not pleased about this because his father had spent a lot of money uh, on uh, sending his son to university to learn to be uh, a lawyer. And here was his son throwing it all away to go and become some monk who was devoted to poverty, chastity, and obedience. Uh, but nevertheless, he kept, uh, Luther kept his, uh, 
kept his vow and he went and became a monk. Can you turn that up the next one? Yeah. Uh, 1508, he was, he was sent to the University of Wittenberg to teach the Bible. Now, he was a good monk. Uh, he was punctilious, over-punctilious in his keeping of the, the rules of the monastery. But the thing is, he began to get on the, uh, on the nerves of his superiors because he was always coming to confession, always confessing every day. And, uh, and, and they really thought, you know, this guy is he's a bit intense, isn't he? So perhaps it'd be better if instead of being uh, a monk, we sent him off to lecture at, because he was a very uh, brilliant man. So let's send him off to university uh, at Wittenberg, and then he can teach the Bible. And so that's where he went. But nevertheless, even though he was teaching the Bible, and he started out by teaching the Psalms, um, he really could not come to terms with how he stood before God. Um, and professor of the Bible, and this is what he said later on in life. He said, I wearied myself greatly for almost 15 years with the daily sacrifice, tortured myself with fastings, vigils, prayers, and other very rigorous works. I earnestly sought to acquire righteousness by my works. Here's a guy who's not just religious. This is a guy who is desperate to be at peace with God. Um, he was a first-rate scholar, as I said. He uh, was a master linguist. See, at that time, the only Bible that people really read was the Latin Vulgate. Um, but, uh, and, um, so any translations of the Bible were taken from the Vulgate, and it was not a very good translation. Luther went back to the original Hebrew and Greek texts. He wanted to know what the original uh, said. And so, as a master linguist, that's where he went to. And Luther's view was this. We should not interpret the Bible allegorically. We should not interpret it mystically. We should not interpret it lit uh, uh, figuratively. We should interpret the Bible literally. And what he meant by that is we must find out we, we must discover what the Bible writers themselves meant. So, you do, in other words, you don't interpret um, poetry like you interpret the historical passages. You, you don't interpret the epistles like you interpret the Psalms. They're different genres, and that's what Luther meant when he said interpreting the, the Bible literally. When, when Moses wrote the five books attributed to him, what did he mean? When Paul wrote the epistle to the Romans, what did he mean? When, this, when David and others wrote the Psalms, what did they mean? And that was what he was in, intent uh, about discovering so he could teach his scholars. Now, his second, um, the second uh, important crisis that he had was when he went to Rome in uh, 1510 as a pilgrim. Um, he traveled 850 miles on foot that's quite a ways to go. Um, you know, it's not just, uh, you know, like traveling down the road to Curry Rival or something like that. 850 miles on foot. 
and on the way and in Rome himself he visited the graves of 46 popes and the sites of 80,000 martyrs' bones. Why on earth did he do that? Because that was meant to put you in God's good books, that you get you got brownie points uh, for doing those kinds of things. And he wanted as many brownie points as he could get because he was desperate that God should look upon him favorably. And walking 850 miles to Rome on foot, well, that's quite something. You know, you get, you're going to get quite a few brownie points for that. And visiting the graves of the popes and uh, the martyrs, Uh, was a good thing. Rome was the center of Christendom. But Luther said, when he got there, he found it was a cesspit of sin. The very priests, the very monks that he respected, he saw that they were consorting publicly with with prostitutes. They uh, They were as bad as anybody else. They were flippant, they were immoral, so that uh, when masses were said, um, you know, it was kind of blah, 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 blah. And get, get, let's just get through it as quick as possible. Let's have your money, please, because you paid money to have a mass said for you. Uh, and so that one's out the way. Next lot, come in, do the same, give us your money. And, and it was all about money. And there was such a thing, Adrian mentioned it, indulgences. Indulgences were this that for paying a certain amount of money, you could um, get time off being in purgatory. The Roman Catholic Church believed that, uh, you know, you, you, nobody, very few people are good enough to go to heaven. Um, uh, but they might not be bad enough for hell, but not good enough for heaven. So there's an in-between place. And you spend a lot of time there, maybe thousands of years, and then you, you go on to heaven after you've done your time in purgatory. That was the view. Uh, But the Pope said, um, I can write you a letter that will get you time off purgatory. Now, sometimes he did that for nothing. Not very often, but sometimes he did it for nothing. But usually it cost you something. And not only could you get time off purgatory yourself, but if you had relatives if you paid money for them, you could get them out of, or you could get time off for them. Um, and this, what they believed was this, that the great saints uh, had done more than enough to get them to heaven. So there was a kind of leftover treasury of these good works. And it was kind of like a bank. You could draw out good deeds. And so that was, you, you, the Pope would give you an indulgence based on the fact that, or the fact as they thought it, that the, um, the, the saints had done more than enough, and so you could draw on the, the treasury of, of the saints. Um, but the thing is, you had businessmen who were coming to Rome, and they were saying, now I'm going on a business trip, I'll be away for three months. And... Um, you know, I might get lonely in that three months. So, you know, I'll probably have to consort with prostitutes and so on. Can you cover that for me? And that was exactly what was happening. Luther witnessed it for himself. And somebody said to him that Rome was built over hell. It was such a terrible place. So this was a real crisis of faith for him. This was the holy city. 
This was the place where the Pope lived. This was the place from where the Pope governed the church. And how he could not reconcile what he saw with what he believed. And that was a great problem for him. Keith, can you just turn that over for me, please? And there's, there's a, a, a place in Rome, the Scala Sancta, the Holy Stairs, and people still go there. And you could pay some money, and then if you climb the, that's those stairs the, uh, on your knees, and you kissed each step, and you said um, the Lord's Prayer at every step, um, that would also... Um, put you in good stead with God. The Scala Sancta was supposed to be the stairs that Jesus ascended when he was tried by Pontius Pilate. Now remember, Jesus was tried in Jerusalem. This is Rome. There's a long distance between Rome uh, uh, and Jerusalem. So uh, Luther climbed the steps. Keith, can you... um, And he repeated the Lord's Prayer uh, on every step. When he got to the top, He looked back down and he said to himself, how do I know if this is true? So he'd made this great pilgrimage at great cost to himself and at the end of it, he's thinking, what's it all about? Is it really true at all? So he had no peace at all um, as a result of that. And then, arriving back in Wittenberg, along comes a guy called John Tetzel. Now, what John Tetzel was doing was selling indulgences. The Pope wanted to rebuild St. Peter's Basilica, and so he needed money. He, had a lot, he could have paid for it himself, but he decided that the faithful ought to pay for it. So he sent out this man, John Tetzel, and others to sell indulgences. So have you got relatives who are in purgatory? You can get them out. All you have to do is pay a certain sum of money. I will give you a a piece of paper written by the Holy Father himself that will get them out. And he would go around banging a drum and saying, as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. And Luther said, right, I'll put a spoke in his wheel. I'll bang a hole in his drum. That That was what Luther said. And so... um. 31st of October, 1517, last Tuesday, 500 years last Tuesday, he nailed 95 theses to the door of Wittenberg, uh, of the Wittenberg uh, Castle Church. Now, these theses were, ju- were statements, and each one was a statement against indulgences. Now, at this point, Luther was still, still did not have any confidence at all that he was a true Christian. He didn't have any confidence at all that he would go to heaven. In fact, he really thought he would not. Uh, he had not yet discovered the great doctrine of justification by faith alone. But he was angry with this because this was misleading people. Poor people were giving their money. John Tetzel was the kind of tele-evangel of his day, a tele-evangelist of his day. Give me your money and you'll, you'll get the results. Uh, so you want your relatives out of, uh, out of purgatory, you can do it just by paying a fee. And what he was doing um, was, as he put at the beginning of the, in, of the uh, 95 Theses, out of love for the truth and from desire to elucidate it, The Reverend Father Martin Luther intends to defend the following statements and to dispute on them. 
Uh, Therefore he asks that those who cannot be present and dispute with him orally shall do so in their absence by letter in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He was inviting. He wasn't trying to start a revolution. He wasn't trying to break away from the Roman Catholic Church. He wanted a discussion about, a public discussion about indulgences by the scholars of the day. Now, there was no internet in those days. There was no Twitter in those days. But, but um, Luther's theses went uh, viral. This, is, this was the first of the um, theses. When Jesus said, repent, he meant that the believers should live a whole life repenting. Only God can give salvation, not a priest. Only God can forgive. This was number six. Only God can forgive. The Pope can only reassure people that God will do this. So although he wasn't wanting to break from the Roman Catholic Church, he thought that actually the the Pope would agree with what he was saying. But although he he didn't want to break away from the Roman Catholic Church, by putting up these theses, it was going to become uh, inevitable. He wanted to reform the church. He wanted a debate. didn't want to start a new church. Uh, And so somebody got hold of the thesis, took them to a printer, and, uh, and... so the, within two weeks it was reckoned that every university in Europe had a copy of the, the 95 Theses. Um, so then we come to his great experience, his tower experience. He was lecturing on the epistle to the Romans and he's reading the original Greek, not the Latin Vulgate. And he reads in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the Uh, the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek, because uh, in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This was something that that bothered Luther immensely, because it's talking about the righteousness of God. And when we think about the righteousness of God, what do we think about? Luther thought the righteousness of God is the righteousness that he expects us to produce by our good works. And he was convinced that he had not produced enough of the righteousness of God in order to be saved. So, um, the righteousness of God terrified Luther. Uh, because he knew that he could never satisfy the demands of, of, of God's righteousness. So he, this is what he said later in life. He said, at last, I gave heed to the context of the words. He'd been concentrating on the righteousness of God. Oh, good grief, how am I going to uh, achieve that? The righteousness of God, it terrified him. He trembled at it. He says, at last, I gave heed to the context of the words, namely, in, in it... In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed as it is written. He who through faith is righteous shall live. He said, then I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that by which the righteous lives by a gift of God, namely by faith. And this is the meaning. The righteousness of God is revealed by the gospel, namely the passive righteousness with which 
The merciful God justifies us. By faith, as is written, he through faith is righteous, shall live. And then, of course, he, he got, went on to see that in Romans uh, chapter 3, verses 23 to 26, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift, accounted righteous by faith as a gift. It's not something that we uh, earn ourselves. Righteousness is actually given to us as a gift from God uh, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God put forward, as John was reading to us earlier, as a propitiation or as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood to be received by faith. So we're kind of like beggars. We come to God. We want to be righteous. We can't do it ourselves. It's like somebody who owes a sum of money and uh, he hasn't got it. And the bank manager says to him, well, look, just ask me to forgive you. What? Just ask me to forgive you. You know, you owe me 10,000 pounds. You haven't got it. Ask me to forgive you. Are you serious? I'm serious. Just ask me to forgive you. And we'll wipe the slate clean. Uh, but that doesn't make sense. Just ask me to forgive you. Okay, forgive me. Okay, off you go. You don't owe me £10,000. Um, I mean, the, 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 nobody would be as good as that, would they? Nobody would be that, that kind. Nobody would be that gracious. Yes, they would. God. And that's exactly what he has done. He's paid the price. That Luther was saying that God was showing his righteousness at the present time in forgiving sinners so that he might be just, righteous, and the justifier, the one who accounts righteous, the one who has faith in Jesus. Luther says, I was born again. Uh, the gate of paradise opened to me and I walked through. And that's the experience of everybody who follows what Luther discovered in the epistle to the Romans. So, um, there are some people who will say this. Justification, it's a hard word, isn't it? Justification, what does it mean? Well, think of it like this. It's just as if I had never sinned. There's something to that, but actually it's more wonderful than that. Because... God, when we're forgiven, there is, uh, there's a recognition that we have sinned, okay? Um, when somebody issues a pardon, um, if a judge was able to pardon somebody, the recognition there is that the person has done the deed, the person has committed the crime. The person, has, has, the, the, the person is responsible for that, but we've forgiven him. We need something more than that. We need righteousness to stand before God. Righteousness means not only that you haven't done anything. Uh, righteousness means not just that you have been forgiven of what you've done, but that actually you have done instead good instead of evil. Um, think of it like this. A better way of looking at it is this. 
it's not just as if I had never sinned, it's just as if I was as righteous as Jesus. I remember some years ago preaching at a church in South London, and uh, I could see this guy um, somewhere in the middle of the church, and, and he's like this, as he's singing, he's like this, Sweet. his head is swinging great arcs like Stevie Wonder, if you've ever seen Stevie Wonder. Um, and I was talking to him afterwards, and he, he said how much he enjoyed my ministry that night. And I said, and, and as I was talking to him, something didn't seem quite right. And I said to him, Stephen, I, I want to ask you a question. He said, what's that? Stephen was blind, by the way. And as he was singing, he was just completely unaware of anybody else. That was the way. He was just enjoying the music. I said, Stephen, are you a Christian? He said, well, I'm trying to be. So I said, right. Um, what do you think it takes to be a, what do you think a Christian is? So he said, well, it's somebody who's trying to please God, like Luther, you see. And I said, Stephen, when you started speaking to me, I thought that I had some good news for you. I know that I've got some good news for you now. I said, it's not a case of you and me trying to be Christians. I said, what Paul says in, in the second letter to the Corinthians is that God made Jesus to be sin so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It's what God did on the cross, he counted Jesus on the cross as if he was just as bad as we are. And when we pu- and and he punished he punished Jesus for that because he was bearing our the responsibility for our sins, and he did that so that he can count you and me as just as if we were just as good, just as holy, just as righteous as Jesus is. And Stephen went, "Wow!" I said, "You understand what I'm saying?" He said, "Yeah." I said, "Does that sound like good news to you?" He said, yeah. I said, so what do you want to do? He said, I want Jesus. So he grasped it like Martin Luther. Now, Martin Luther might have said, hallelujah, or, you know, praise the Lord. Stephen says, wow. You know, and you know, if there is, if there is not, if something in us, when we understand that that gospel, uh, when we understand what God did to Jesus so that he might do to us, if there's not something in us that says, wow, or praise the Lord, there's, some, there's something wrong with us, you know? Um, and Luther himself actually said, this is something he wrote later on in life, he said, Lord Jesus, you are my righteousness. I am your sin. You took on you what was mine, yet set on me what was yours. You became what you were not, that I might become what I was not. He sees that great transference. Um, Jesus takes our sins so that we might be counted. God counts him as, as, as though he were as sinful as us so that he might account us. We're not actually in reality righteous because we, we do things wrong all the time, but God counts us as though we were just um, as as. Uh, just as, as holy and righteous as Jesus. And that's why we must remember the Reformation. Uh, Luther changed everything. Uh, he was a man who was... Um, uh, he was a very, very... Uh, he was no plaster saint. 
He was a man who uh, was capable of, of um, anger and, and so many other things. But that's why he saw that he needed Jesus. And this is the last word from Luther. Unless I am convinced by Scripture and plain reason, this is Luther at the Diet of Worms. And they said to him, you know, you're, you're, you're a heretic. Your views are not in line with the church's views. Your views are not in line with the Pope. We, you must now publicly recant. You must repent of these errors. Otherwise, you're going to be in real trouble. You, you, you'll end up being put to death. And Luther says in front of them all, I, unless I am convinced by Scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of the popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and I will not take back anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand, I can do no other. So help me God. Amen. And the challenge to you and me as Christians today it doesn't come from the church. It comes from the governments because we are being told that there are certain things we cannot believe, certain things that we cannot say, certain, things, certain ways we cannot act. And you and I may, may find ourselves in a position where we have got to say that we are captive to the Word of God and, and to Scripture. Um, so Martin Luther, great man, but it's not in the Reformation we don't celebrate Luther so much as we celebrate the Gospel. Because he recovered it. He didn't make it up. He didn't invent it. He recovered it. He saw it in Scripture. And because he saw it in Scripture, he was prepared to live and to die, if necessary, for the sake of that. And, uh, and, and Luther should, uh, this great doctrine of justification by faith, should be something that we, we hold on to and we grasp uh, and we hold on to at all costs. Um, you, you'll find that I put some, uh, a little bit more detail about Luther in these, uh, these leaflets. You should find some around. There are some over there. But, um, but let's give thanks for uh, Luther and his legacy, but most of all for the gospel. Let's do that. Our Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for this great truth of justification by faith alone. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus has done everything, everything, to achieve our salvation, and there is nothing left for us to do but to accept it with gratitude. Father, if we've forgotten these, this great truth, and if we've fallen back on thinking that we can do anything at all to make ourselves acceptable to you. Forgive us, Lord, we pray, and help us again to grasp this great biblical doctrine that we are justified, we are accounted righteous by faith. And Father, if it should even be that there's anyone here this morning who has never grasped this, and this is all foreign and alien, oh Lord, we pray. Help them to receive the truth with gladness and with joy and to go on their way rejoicing in their, in, not only in forgiven sins but in the righteousness that comes from you through Christ by faith. Lord, hear as we pray because we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.